1: Are we a nation of action and compassion? Well, judging by the stories that have come out from the horrific shooting after the Chiefs Super Bowl party and parade, we might actually be both of those things. And that's a good thing coming out of a pretty terrifying event. Also, what's a fair share, quote unquote? I'm just asking once again for the 1% who nearly accounted for 50% of all tax revenue in the last available year, Federalist Papers, number nine, goes into the hopper in our Federalist Papers study. Oh, and then somebody accepted the challenge of making a biblically-centered version of the He Gets Us ads, and um, it's everything that we need and we are called to during this Lenten season, namely, repentance. I'm Andrew Coppins, and this is Critical Thinking. Yes, folks, that's right. It is Critical Thinking. Thank you for joining me every single Monday through Friday. Right here on X, I am at The Cop and Show. You can also watch on our Rumble page, rumble.com backslash critical thinking. That's rumble.com backslash critical thinking. Of course, you can always download, follow, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast on your favorite preferred platform. So thank you to each and every single one of you who... Take time out of your day to listen to my dulcet tones. I, 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 Seriously, it means a lot to me that you've trusted me with thinking through the news and views of the day, sometimes from a very different perspective than other people. But before we get into what took place in Kansas City during their Super Bowl party yesterday and the tragedy and heroism that emerged from that event. For those of us who are Christian, we entered the most holy of seasons as of yesterday, starting with Ash Wednesday, right? It's the Lenten season. And if you're like me, you attended mass, or attended a service, or whatever your church calls it. But for me, being Catholic, you attend mass. And... There are multitudes of things that go on, obviously, but one of the biggest things as we take a look at what's going on is that we get the ashes on our forehead as Catholics. And when you are doing that, there are two different versions of the prayer for the ashes, okay? One of them is talking about From dust you were to dust you shall become, right? So ashes to ashes, dust to dust, right? The other one is about repentance. And that's really the theme in the Catholic Church this year is repent. Rejoice in God and repent. It is a calling every year for us to repent of our sins, to come back to the faith, to become faithful. To this season, if you take a look, there are no, there are going to be absolutely no baptisms, no first communions, no nothing during the next 39, now 39 days of the Lenten season until the Easter Vigil Mass in my church. And then we get the adult... um Uh, communion, their first communion, along with their conversion to Catholicism, right? So they confirm their belief in all things Catholic and, and the teachings of the faith, right? And it happens on the Easter vigil. It's one of my favorite masses of the year. But there's a reason why this doesn't happen throughout all of the Lenten season, It is because they're in preparation to confirm their faith. They're in preparation, repentance. They are looking through the education, coming to the faith over the next 40 days and 40 nights. And I bring that up as the example here because, frankly, when I looked at the He Gets Us ad, right, or one of the two that ended up showing up at the Super Bowl, both of them were absolutely blasphemous, just terribly blasphemous, just awful. But when I take a look at those and I wonder to myself, do they understand what was going on? Do they understand the gospel? Have they come to their faith or are they just marketing for marketing's sake. And that seems to be the case because we can investigate whom is doing these ads. It's not the billionaires that are funding this, by the way, like the Hobby Lobby family and and others who ironically don't have their stores open on Sundays because they're so faithful, yet they're depicting us washing each other's feet. Except for there was only one time in which that ever happened. And you know, talking about sin and who amongst us isn't a sinner and we should be washing the feet of the sinners to get them to become faithful. Except for that's never actually occurred in the Bible, period, point blank. In fact, the only time that they speak of this, the only time the action actually happens is when Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. In the Gospels, as they note what is taking place Prior to his crucifixion, prior to his death and resurrection, prior to the Easter joy. Now, I bring all of this up to say, I find it ironic that the day before Lent, um, it, this came across my desk, and it was an ad, there was a challenge put out in the um, Christian world okay, you want to criticize the non-biblically centered, like not even close to like, hey, this is a Catholic teaching versus a Protestant teaching versus whatever, right? We're not even talking about that. It is just as simple as this is fundamentally untrue about the Bible. So the challenge was, well, if you could, if you think you could do better, do better, right? Well, Jamie Bambrick, a UK-based pastor, And video creator Did just that He took up the challenge And folks I'm just gonna say this Ask yourself as you watch this What the word former Is a synonym for Don't ask you know it's true Don't have to tell you I love your precious heart I I was standing So, Jamie Bambrick out of the UK produces this video for us. And, folks, I I just, let's just put it this way. I can't think of a more powerful, on-point, on-message message to be delivered during the Lenten season. Former porn star, former lesbian activist, former New Age guru. What does the word former imply? Now, maybe you could nitpick here and there and say, well, why didn't they say repent, repentant? See, the difference between repentant and former is that they've gone through the process of being repentant of the sin, right? Prostitution, um, the the porn, new age guru, being on god centered, right? All of those types of things that are in this former gang member, former this, former that, former this. It is because they have been transformed. They have been repentant. Repentance means you are in the process of penance, right? I am. It's either I am an unrepentant sinner, meaning I'm still living in my sin, or I am going through the process of penance, meaning I am transforming. I am turning my life over to God, to Jesus and his saving ways. I am transforming. And then I become former because I have repented. I have proven to have changed. Does that mean that we're free from all sin at that point? No, of course not. That's not at all what is being said there. But what is being said is that through penance, through that moment of repentance of our sins, the big ones, the transformational ones, God can save us. That Jesus Christ's saving power, his death on the cross was not in vain, right? It's been a really long, long time since some sort of ad, some sort of video has stopped me dead in my tracks. This is obviously, for me, the most powerful thing I have ever, ever witnessed, personally. Period. Point blank. I showed this to my wife and it reduced her to tears. I've shown it to multiple people who have come back with just absolute gobsmacked looks on their face because it shows the transformational power of not just belief in God and Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's not it. It is that they've transformed through the actions, through action. There's going to be a theme of this show, by the way, today, and it's going to be action. Through their action of repentance, through their action of belief, through their action of conversion and continuation on their journey as a Christian. Because we are never done. Whether it's big sins, little sins, anything in between. We are all sinners. But it is our duty to act in repentance of those sins. That is what God asks of us. That is what Jesus Christ taught us. In fact, the parable that they're attempting to tell us in the original He gets us ad is about um Jesus Christ washing the feet of sinners, right? That never ever 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 happened. Ever in the Bible. That never happened. Instead, what did Jesus Christ do when sinner XYZ, when this woman came to him? as an unrepentant sinner. He stood up and condemned her for her sin. He stood up and said, are you doing basically anything about it? Well, how many people are willing to stand here and say, you're a sinner? How many people are willing to condemn you? Well, it turns out nobody was, except for Jesus Christ was willing to condemn. And it was condemned, condemning the sin, not the person, the sin. I condemn the sin. I condemn the action that you are committing that is sinful. And unless you repent of that, unless you change your ways, unless you submit to God and God's will, unless that's the case, you are not like me. You need to take a look at it biblically for a little bit, but I don't know about you, but the powerful message that anything that you are in life that is sinful, anything, trans prostitute, gang leader, porn star, witch, new age guru, we could go on and on and on, right? God never gives up on you but you have to want God and you have to repent of sin. And again, that's the calling of the next 40 days here in Lent, is that introspection, is that call to be more faithful, to act more faithfully in your life. I know that I struggle with it. I know that everybody struggles with it. So I'm not preaching here. I'm trying to do more action to become more faithful, to become a better version of myself, a more complete in my relationship with God and Jesus Christ over the next 40 days so that it builds habits, so that it builds that relationship into a stronger formation. There are many different ways that you can do that. Go to confession if it's your first time since your first confession as a kid in the Catholic Church. Listen to the Bible in a year. Begin to study the Bible. Do a 40-day study, reflection, whatever. There's tons of things that you can do to strengthen those things. But one of them is show that unrepentant sinner in your life this ad. Show him that ad. Because it is the most powerful message that can be sent. No matter who you are, no matter what you are, God loves you and God can accept you. And God will accept you as long as you work on the path of repentance for your sins. Now, speaking of action and taking action, yesterday was the celebratory parade in Kansas City for the Chiefs Super Bowl victory. And unfortunately, it turned a little tragic. And by a little tragic, I mean 20-plus people shot, one dead as of the last time I was able to check on this information. Um, there was another person, I think, that was in critical condition. So, um, you yeah, know, that might be touch or go, depending on when you actually watch this show or listen to it. But action and compassion. Action and compassion, folks. We're at work. The shooting happens. People scatter everywhere, right? There are little kids everywhere traumatized by all of this. Now, the suspected part of this is what is unraveled over the last couple of hours be- before I could get to you guys. Yeah, it turns out they're not exactly uh, terroristic in nature. This was literally a bunch of absolute thug gang members because that's literally what you are as a gang member. You are a thug. I don't give a bleep. If you're black, white, Brown, Hispanic, anything in between, if you're a member of a gang and you're doing this crap, you are a thug having at it over some sort of weird dispute, which they're not giving us the details of, but Oh, oh, they'll give us all the details of everybody else, except for they won't of the, the alleged perpetrators. But the compassion and action part of this is that as we see that horrific event unfold, the Kansas City Chiefs players act with compassion and attempt to calm young kids that were traumatized by this event. And there's nothing wrong with being traumatized by shooting, right, by a shooting happening in front of you. Nothing. Nothing wrong with that. It is a traumatic event, period, point blank, whether you're used to it or not. But the act of compassion that was shown to calm these individuals down to, they could have easily gotten out of there, right? Security gets them out of there, their precious cargo and, and millionaires, right? So they got to be protected more than Joe Schmo on the street. But they stayed. They calmed little children down. They put smiles on their faces. They calmed the situation as best as they could with compassion. That's a good thing. That is an action rather than a retreat, and then we have this, there was a video that emerged of a couple of heroes, who noticed one of the individuals involved in this alleged shooting, because it's, well, I mean, there was a shooting, it's just alleged from the perspective of murder charges, and everything in between, but they chased this individual, tackled him to the ground to make sure that nothing worse could happen and that the police got their suspect in this case. And I want you to listen to what he says as to why he did it.
0: One guy was hollering saying, you know, stop him, or catch him, you know, tackle him, whatever. And he's just, just bailing running. And out of nowhere, I heard that guy hollering, so I'm just like, okay, well... I'm right here. And I just, I didn't think about it. It was just a reaction. I didn't hesitate. It was just, just do it. So I went to go tackle him. And another gentleman did the same thing. And as I'm tackling him, I see his weapon either fall out of his hand or out of his sleeve because he was wearing a long jacket or like a Carhartt. So when I seen that hit the ground, I'm like, oh, you know, we got to take this guy down. And so, like I said, I did. And another good Samaritan did. And we held him down, and it seemed like forever, but it probably wasn't. It was like thirty seconds holding him down, and me and the other gentleman and hollering at ongoers, you know, where's the cops? Where's, you know, get the cops over here. Get the cops over here. You know, we got them.
1: Did you hear it? I just acted. I 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 acted instinct kicked in for this individual to do something and that something wasn't flip up the phone and start start recording it wasn't uh you know retreat 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 it wasn't cower in fear it was the normal masculine instinct to act to do something about it, to stop the threat. Fight or flight is a real response. It is a normal human response, and he chose fight. All too often, we choose flight. All too often, we're the ones, whether it's men, women, children, sitting there behind our phones, on our phones, filming what is taking place instead of stopping it, right? How many beating videos do we need to see from crazy things happening on the subway in New York or in Chicago or elsewhere where we're all we're doing is filming it because, Oh my God, we can't act. No. How about no? How about no? Just, just no. And of course we couldn't even go an hour or two without your typical sports You know, left wing sports bros, your Corona bros and Corona gals, immediately going to politics. This has nothing to do with politics. There were 600 armed officers, 600 of them. What bigger of a deterrent for you to engage in violence could there have possibly been? Instead, Violence beget violence. Hot-headedness beget violence. What were you going to do to stop that? They didn't care that 600 police officers were in the vicinity. They didn't care if the rest of the populace was going to be armed. They just acted out of instinct, out of passion, and disgustingness. Okay? It was disgusting the way that those individuals acted and what they did to settle whatever dispute or or whatever was going on in the moment. Settle some gang score in the middle where innocent bystanders are? You got to be kidding me. Also, you've got to be kidding me that you don't value human life at all. And, and we've long talked about how do you how do you solve the problem without dealing with the root causes of, I don't care about my life, therefore I don't care about anybody else's life. I don't know what the answer to that is, and I don't think the answer is uh, taking away somebody's gun and their ability to defend themselves from that type of violence should they want to. I I just don't know what to tell you on that, unfortunately. I, I just... Why are we going through the political machinations when this has nothing to do with politics? Why are we doing this when we don't have any details? None, other than the video watching people act heroically. Where's the Rich Eisen's who did this? Where are the other people in the sports world interviewing that individual and talking about the heroism of protecting as many lives as humanly possible in a tragic situation? Where are we propping that up Maybe that's the answer. They're afraid that people are going to beat the crap out of them. People are going to shoot them and kill them. Maybe that's the answer, right? Maybe fear is an answer. Except for, wait, there were 600 armed police officers at this event, and they still didn't care. They still didn't care that they might be close to one who would shoot them and kill them. So you tell me why, how the politics of any of this solves any of this. Now, with all of that having been said, I think now is a good time for you to also get the reminder that if you need a little pick-me-up during your day, there's nothing better than getting some coffee in your cup from our fine friends over at coffeebrandcoffee.com where they care about coffee, not your politics, their politics, or anybody else's politics, just quality coffee, Quality roasting right into the bag, fresh delivered to you. Go to coffeebrandcoffee.com, enter the promo code CRITICALTHINKER at checkout for 10% off of your purchase today. Again, that is coffeebrandcoffee.com, promo code CRITICALTHINKER at checkout for 10% off of your purchase today. So that all having been said, um, we also have one other story before we get into the Federalist Paper study. And this one happens to deal with um, taxes. I know we haven't talked about this a lot, but economic freedom is one of the four pillars that we are speaking on and want to highlight throughout this year that I want to highlight, not we, but I want to highlight throughout the year. And can we be economically free when 50-ish percent of our, taxes are being paid by 1% by 1% also did you know that 50% of the American taxpayers are paying no taxes or getting a refund in 2021 that was the case and in 2020 that was the case and in 2019 over half or half is that a problem Is that a problem? Having skin in the game kind of makes a difference, right? Or when you expect to just be repaid for the things that the government has taken from you throughout the year so that they can make money off of it, by the way, lest you forget that lesson. What are you talking about, Andrew? Well, guess what? Every time you pay in for your payroll taxes that come out of your check, just automatically, right, gone from your check, guess what happens to that money? It goes into a fund that bears interest for the federal government. That's right. They get to take your money, make money off of it, while you have to sit for an entire year not making money off of that. And then they, oh, guess what? We took a little bit too much from you. So here's that portion back. You can't really do anything with it, though. That's right. They've earned money off of the money they're going to give you back. You couldn't throughout the year. You couldn't take that five hundred dollars or a thousand dollars or fifteen hundred or whatever it is that you're gonna get back, right? What what could you have done with that kind of money over a year? What would you have done and in, in sticking it into an investment or maybe over the course of a decade putting it away so that you could put a down payment on uh, on an investment property or watch it earn interest in in a money market account or whatever have you, right? The federal government got to do that to you every single year of your uh, working life, but you don't have that opportunity. But lest we forget about this, here's the reality folks. the top one percent of wage earners, if we want to talk about balancing our tax system and fair share hashtag, right? This comes from uh, Mark J excuse me, Mark J. Perry on Twitter. The top 1% of taxpayers, which is 1.53 million, earned 26.3% of the total income, paid out 45.8%, that's 1 trillion of the taxes in 2021, while the bottom 95% of taxpayers, 146 million people, earned 58% of the total income and paid just 34.4% of taxes in 2021 which is a massive inversion of what was going on. If you are not watching, please go to X or the Rumble channel, rumble.com backslash critical thinking so that you can see this. But what you have, if you were watching it, what you would have seen is a massive, massive switch. Again, from 1980, where the trend was the bottom 95 paid about 60 or so percent, 62, somewhere in that. And then the bottom 1% or the top 1%, I should say, paid about 20% of the tax revenue. And we're not talking about um, the share, the per, or I should say, we're talking about the share. We are not talking about like, oh, by the way, um, yeah, you, your rate, right? Your 15% versus 20% or whatever. No, we are simply talking dollars and cents here, folks. Over the course, we've gotten more and more regressive on the top 1% and more and more progressive on the bottom 95%. And what do I mean by that? On the progressive side, we've gotten fewer and fewer tax dollars from the bottom 95%, which is the majority of the people allegedly, right? That's what 95% would represent. That would be the majority of the amount of money. The bottom 95% of taxpayers, the actual people paying taxes, 146 million people contributed 34.4% of the revenue. We're not talking about like their, their tax rate. It is pure revenue. Again, look at the inversion and the historical trend on this chart and we see what? All the way through the 2000s to about 2008, where we got almost a 50-50 split of the percentage, around 40% to 40%, meaning there's another 20% for the other 4% that is not represented by these numbers. This is not sustainable. And yet, folks, and yet, what do we have from our wonderful, wonderful Democrats calls for more fair share to be paid by the rich. What's the number? Let us know what the number is. You're never going to because there's never a number that is enough. But when the top 1% of people earning are also paying way more, Almost 50% of all the money that our government collects, that's a problem for our society, folks. It really is. It is a massive problem. That's not good because what it means is that you are taking away more and more and more wealth from the people who can afford to invest in our economy, in jobs, in businesses. All of that sort of stuff. The more you take from those who can create. Oh, wait, wait, what did we talk about on yesterday's show? The modern Marxist theory is not about controlling the means of production. It's not owning all of the you know factories and then the the railroads, the means of all of the, the various components, right? The stores. No, it's about control. And what happens to the top 1% when they're the ones that are writing the checks for all of us? The government controls them. They don't control the government. You see the top 1% rising up and overthrowing the government or saying to the government, nah, we're not doing this anymore. They're the ones who can afford to do it. Instead, we've got, you know, the he gets us campaign from the Hobby Lobby folks. Instead, we get more DEI. Yes, yes, sir. Yes, madam. Um, we're we're going to make sure that we uh, kowtow to every DEI and wokeism from the corporate boardroom. And, oh, public-private partnerships, right? That's the government controlling. And then also, you plebs... You plebs still don't have enough money to be on your own, so now we're controlling you as well. This this is not good. This is a terrible mix for our society. It's not good, period, point blank. I could go into the deep economic uh, scenarios at play and all that, but we don't need to. The reality is the reality. We've gone from less than 20% to almost 50% in my lifetime, my entire lifetime, the top 1% is is contributing the most by a large margin. Meanwhile, you get that middle 4%, right? That 4% that's still at the top was contributing next to nothing, actually. When you take a look at those numbers, they're contributing about 2 to 3%, somewhere in that nature. Maybe 4 to 5%, depending on the year. Or 20% sometimes. But if you do the math, let me throw this chart back up here, right? So let's do the math here. They're contributing 45% to 34%. So we're doing the math. 5 plus 4 is 9. 79%. So 21% is being covered by the middle 4%. So the top 5% of wage earners, right, is contributing over 67%. Um, Not necessarily good. Because that means the vast, 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 vast majority of y'all out there have no skin in the game. You don't care. You have... Oh, government's just going to give me my money back every year. Our tax system is screwed up. That's why a flat tax payable upon receipt at the end of the year is a good thing and forces you to understand your relationship, your economic relationship to your government. And I bet you if they start raising that by two, three, 4% every single year, you're going to notice. I bet that to be the case. Now, I don't even need to get into a history lesson of taxation and, and um, the income tax and all of that and how this is all going down. The reality is right now, you don't see it, so you don't care about it. That's the lesson here. All right, all of that being said, let's move forward to the Federalist Papers. We are on Federalist number nine, and it is titled The Utility of the Union as a Safeguard Against Domestic Faction and Insurrection. And once again, Alexander Hamilton is the author. And he is talking about insurrection. In the opening salvo of the essay, though, Hamilton invokes the past to talk about the nature of loosely associated yet individually motivated republics throughout history. He name drops Greece, talks about Italy, a.k.a. Rome and all of the different republics that were around Rome and the conquest of Rome and yada, yada, yada but warned that we have an opportunity to avoid the regret that so many of the past have felt when they failed because of these loosely associated republics and their divergent interests. In fact, he says the following. A firm union will be of the utmost moment to the peace and liberty of the states as a barrier against domestic, domestic fraction or faction and insurrection. It is impossible to read the history of the uh, petty republics of Greece and Italy Italy, without feeling sensations of horror and disgust at the distractions with which they were continually agitated, and at the rapid succession of revolutions by which they were kept in a state of perpetual vibration between the extremes of tyranny and anarchy. If they exhibit occasional calms, these only serve as short-lived contrast to the furious storms that are to succeed. If now and then intervals of felicity open to view, we behold them with a mixture of regret arising from the reflection that the pleasing scenes before us are soon to be overwhelmed by the tempestuous waves of sedition and party rage. If momentary rays of glory break forth from the gloom while they dazzle us with a transient and fleeting brilliancy, they are or they at the same time admonish us to lament that the vices of government should pervert the direction and tarnish the luster of those bright talents and exalted endowments for which the favored soils that produce them have been so justly celebrated. So again, what he is talking about here, right? It is impossible to read the history of the petty republics of Greece and Italy without feeling sensations of horror and disgust. He's talking about the fact that um, we know from history what loose affiliations, loose republics, and small confederations do to the greater good, if you will, right? The, The commonality that is more common than not between these areas geographically, culturally, spiritually, whatever you want to put, whatever box you want to put them in. We have the opportunity again to what? Look back at history and suggest to ourselves we need to do this differently. And he, then he continues to go on to argue that despite the failures of the republics of the past, there was much learned and much enlightenment gained. Today's version of the republic or republican government would have to be much different than the past. And that means stronger unless fractures in the foundation of said strong not loosely defined republican government that's the opportunity ahead of us later on in the essay though hamilton invokes the name of montesquieu to point out the advocates of confederacy that montesquieu actually said something completely different on the matter than what was being argued by the anti-federalists of the time In so much as Montesquieu talked about loose confederations, Montesquieu thought of limited government, right? Really limited, localized government. Well, let's take a look at what Hamilton has to say on this. Because Hamilton continues to say that the utility of a confederacy, as well as to suppress faction and to guard the internal tranquility of states as to increase their external force and security, is in reality not a new idea. It has been practiced upon in different countries and ages, and has received the the sanction of the most approved writers on the subject of politics. The opponents of the plan proposed have, with great astutity, cited and circulated the observations of Montesquieu on the necessity of a contracted territory for a Republican government. But they seem not to have been apprised of the sentiments of that great man expressed in another part of his work, nor to have adverted to the consequences of the principle to which they subscribed with such ready acquiescence. So that's what he's talking about. These people actually are just cherry picking information, which is ironic considering the fact that you've got that same accusation coming forward to the people who literally just quote bits and pieces of the Federalist paper that actually are part of a broader context, right? So we see that. But he continues saying the following about Montesquieu. When Montesquieu recommends a small extent for republics, the standards he had in view were of dimensions far shorter of the limits of almost every one of these states. Neither Virginia, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, New York, North Carolina, nor Georgia can by any means be compared with the models from which he reasoned and to which the terms of his description apply. If we therefore take his ideas on on this point as the criterion of truth, we shall be driven to the alternative either of taking refuge at once in the arms of monarchy or of splitting ourselves into an infinity of little, jealous, clashing, tumultuous commonwealths, the wretched nurseries of unceasing discord, and the miserable objects of universal pity or contempt. Some of the writers who have come forward on the other side of the question seem to have been aware of the dilemma, and have even been bold enough to hint at the division of the larger states as a desirable thing. Such an infatuated policy, such a desperate expedient, might, by the multiplication of petty offices, answer the views of men who possess not qualifications to extend their influence beyond the narrow circles of personal intrigue, but it could never promote the greatness or happiness of the people of America. And I think I want you guys to remember this. When they're talking about the greater good or the common good or any of those things, they're not talking about this from the perversion of it that became the Marxist ideology. They are simply saying, there is a what is America? What is the idea that is America? that is the thing that we have to pay attention to, right? That's really what they're talking about when they're talking about the common good or, or the overall states or this, that, or whatever. It's what is the promotion of things that are good for all of us? Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, right? That, that, uh, that idea, well, the, that's the framework we're talking about. So I, th- I think it's absolutely interesting. But then following those arguments, Hamilton goes on to point out that using Montesquieu as a reference would also then need to advocate for those even smaller groups, right? So, because the size and the number of the people in his writing were far less. So what Montesquieu was advocating for is that you can only have these confederacies exist if the populations are small and have similar interests. That mutually assured destruction, because of the smallness, is the key here. In fact, once again, Montesquieu seems to be a friend to the stronger and more constitutionally based republic, because in his own words, folks, Hamilton quotes him in Federalist number nine, saying the following, so far are the suggestions of Montesquieu from standing in opposition to a general union of the states that he explicitly treats of a confederate republic as the expedient for extending the sphere of popular government and reconciling the advantages of monarchy with those of republicanism. Quote, It is very probable, says he, that mankind would have been obliged at length to live constantly under the government of a single person had they not contrived a, a kind of constitution that has all the internal advantages of a republican together with the external force of a monarchical government. I mean a Confederate Republic. This form of government, Montesquieu continues, is a convention by which several smaller states agree to become members of a larger one, which they intend to form. It is a kind of assemblage of societies that constitute a new one, capable of increasing by means of new associations till they arrive at, to such a degree of power as to be able to provide for the security of the united body. A republic of this kind, able to withstand an external force, may support itself without any internal corruptions. The form of this society prevents all manner of inconveniences. So literally, what montesquieu is talking about is that if you do this in layers right which is exactly what the constitution was allowing us to do right so that there are individual constitutions individual states municipalities right municipalities to the state to the federal government it would actually increase the ability to protect the common good that's a very interesting point But Hamilton continues to hammer this point, concluding with the following in this essay. Stating this, In the Lycian Confederacy, which consisted of 23 cities or republics, the largest were entitled to three votes in the Common Council. Those of the middle class to two, and the smallest to one. The Common Council had the appointment of all the judges and magistrates and of the respective cities. This was certainly the most delicate species of interference in their internal administration. For if there were, uh, if there be anything that seems exclusively appropriated to the local jurisdictions, it is the appointment of their own officers. Yet Montesquieu, speaking of this association, says, quote, "Were I to give a model of an excellent confederate republic, it would be that of Lycia." Thus, we perceive that the. Der- The distinctions insisted upon were not within the contemplation of this enlightened civilian, and we shall be led to conclude that they are the novel refinements of an erroneous theory. So, what is Hamilton saying there? He's saying that Montesquieu had a belief of how these confederacies were supposed to work, yet it limited the most common of these things, right? and that there were very few out of many with power, that the entire theory being presented in front of us when it comes to the Articles of Confederacy is a failed theory. If they only believe in one aspect of what Montesquieu says, if you take him in his totality, there's a very different way forward. Now, for me, this is easily the most blunt condemnation as we read this in totality that we have of the idea of continuing under the Articles of Confederation. This is about as blunt as you could get for that day and time. Just a straight up assassination of the idea of the Articles of Confederacy or the concept of individual states being able to be a better more loosely associated situation for the American people, right? This is straight up assassination using their own words against them. But with that, folks, I'll see you tomorrow. Please be smart, be safe, be kind. Make sure you eat all of your meals today. And as always, Matthew 547. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince.
0: Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen